Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Now this is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg here in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Our shortwave transmitter has been temporarily disabled. We will inform you as soon as it's back online. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Ethiopian Airlines crash report puts pressure on aircraft maker Boeing. The DRC authorities urge to take action against corrupt senators and MPs and Rwanda marks 25th anniversary of genocide this weekend. In economics news, South Africa and Kenya set to boost trade relations and in sports news, South Africa's Banyana Banyana prepares for FIFA Women's World Cup. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission is appealing to communities to protest in a peaceful manner and to respect the rights of others to exercise their right to vote. IEC Chairperson Glenn Mashinini says the institution is concerned about violent service delivery protests that seem to escalate during the election period in an attempt to put pressure on government for speedy resolution of grievances. He was addressing the Cape Town Press Club. Mashinini has also called for restraint by law enforcement agencies. Because elections are a high-profile activity, people use that platform to raise publicity to their cause. And that's fine in a democracy. Only to the extent that then it can end up transgressing the rights of others, we do decry that and we do appeal to all South Africans that let's stick to the rules of democracy. Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta, has told government officials who are facing corruption charges to step down. Delivering his State of the Nation address in Parliament, Kenyatta vowed to continue with his war against corruption. Last month, four senior cabinet ministers, including Finance Minister Henry Rotish, were questioned by detectives about their role in a mega-dam construction that the chief prosecutor believes was used to siphon off public funds. There will be no turning back on the war against corruption as it is a just war and a war to prevent misuse of public resources for selfish interests by those who have been entrusted to manage them. We are not turning back because we are determined to gift our children a better Kenya than the one we inherited. A prosperous Kenya where the respect for the rule of law and integrity are accepted norms. 
The United States has revoked the visa of the prosecutor to the International Criminal Court for entry into the United States. Fatal Ben Soda has been investigating allegations of war crimes by U.S. forces and their allies in Afghanistan. And last month, the U.S. warned it might refuse or revoke visas to any ICC staff involved in such probes, Sean Bryce Peace reports. A response to an SABC News inquiry reads as follows, quote, We can confirm that U.S. authorities have revoked the prosecutor's visa for entry into the U.S., close quotes. The note continues that it's their understanding that the decision should have no impact on Fatou Bensouda's travel to the United States to meet her obligations to the U.N. in New York, including her regular briefings to the Security Council. Secretary of State Michael Pompeo in March warned that Washington would impose visa restrictions on persons responsible for the pursuit of any probe against the country at the International Criminal Court. The Nigerian Foreign Ministry has denied reports that 80 of its diplomatic missions around the world are facing closure. A spokesperson who spoke to the BBC says that reports of budgetary shortages were inaccurate. Earlier, Nigerian senators strongly criticised what they said was a lack of funding for the country's diplomatic missions. Members of the Foreign Affairs Committee complained that most of Nigeria's embassies were in a sorry state, with many unable to pay electricity or water bills. And finally, the Constitutional Court in Zimbabwe has banned the use of corporal punishment for juvenile offenders. It described the practice as inhumane. However, many parents believe that corporal punishment is the best way to discipline children. The BBC's Shinga reports. The ruling essentially bans the caning of juveniles by the courts, a punishment that's been in effect since colonial times. The country's top judges now describe this as an inhuman form of punishment that has no place in a democratic society. The ruling stems from a court case in which a 15-year-old boy convicted of raping a 14-year-old girl challenged his sentence of three strokes of the cane. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Let's talk about it. Hi, I'm Joe Mangliya. And I'm Tabisa Jala. Join us at 9 a.m. Central African Time. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it. A program on AIDS and other social issues. A program that will encourage a positive lifestyle to young people affected and infected. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it. it at 9 a.m. Central African Time on Channel Africa. Preliminary findings of the investigation into the Ethiopian Airlines crash last month suggest the crew on board was not at fault. The Boeing 7378 MAX model lost contact with Addis Ababa six minutes after it had departed. All the people on board died. Ethiopia's Ministry of Transport is in charge of the committee tasked with investigating the accident. Koleta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. Nearly a month after Ethiopian Airlines ET-302 crashed over 100 kilometers from the capital, Addis Ababa, investigations have produced some early conclusions. Dagmawit Morges is the Ethiopian Minister of Transport. The aircraft possessed a valid certificate of airworthiness. The second one, the crew obtained the license and qualifications to conduct the flight. And third, the takeoff roll 
appeared very normal. And the fourth one is, the crew performed all the procedures repeatedly provided by the manufacturer, but was not able to control their craft. The investigations have been carried out by a committee led by Ethiopia's Ministry of Transport. It also includes representatives of international aviation agencies from the United States, Europe and France, as well as the manufacturer Boeing. Dagmawit Morges is the Ethiopian Minister of Transport. Since repetitive, uncommanded aircraft nose-down conditions are noticed in this preliminary investigation, it is recommended that the aircraft flight control system related to the flight controllability shall be reviewed by the manufacturer. The team says it is still analyzing the data retrieved from the data flight recorder and the voice box and it will take more time to come up with final findings. Amdiye Ayalew is the head of the Accident Investigation Bureau. Investigation will proceed to the next one year or six years, six months exactly, I don't know. It depends on how the complication of the investigation. But within this one year, let me say, we'll analyze whether other problems are existing on this aircraft. Ethiopia says, depending on conclusive findings, the country's attorney general will advise on what legal measures will be taken. Ethiopia says it is not yet attributing blame for this crash after the initial findings of the investigation. But the preliminary report suggests Boeing needs to look further at its aircraft control system. And Ethiopia wants aviation authorities to confirm any problems have been solved before the 737 MAX plane is allowed to fly again. Colette Anjohi, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Rwanda has kicked off preparations for the 25th commemoration of the genocide perpetrated against the country's Tutsi minority in 1994. The event, which takes place over this weekend, is preceded by a number of international conferences that center on the reflection of the reasons why the tragic genocide occurred on broad daylight. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. These conferences are attended by renowned international authors, filmmakers, former heads of state, senior university lecturers, heads of religious denominations, youth, and other related stakeholders. They have been characterized by testimonies, especially from youth survivors and from those whose relatives are serving jail sentences after found guilty of taking part in the genocide. Bamhorich Edward is head of National Itorero, or National Civic Institute, whose mandate is to restate the Rwanda's national values. He comes from a Hutu community from which part of its members perpetrated genocide against their counterparts in Tutsi community. He took the congregation present through his journey of going back to school after the genocide when he felt he was not deserving the chance because of what some Hutu militia commonly referred to as Nerahamwe had just committed. They came, they liberated the country, and they started to treat everyone in the same manner. We are all given the right to study, but the trauma was there. You can imagine all these young people coming from the corners of the, the country, different corners of the country. We experienced genocide from different backgrounds. They are survivors and young people from perpetrators' families. We, we are all watching genocide when it happened. There was no safe place for young people so that we don't see, we don't watch what the older people were doing. 
So we are all traumatized. But the government said you have to go to school. Whatever trauma you have, you are the generation to go to school. Discussants stressed that the unity and reconciliation journey Rwanda decided to take has paid off 25 years after the genocide. A wide-ranging initiatives were undertaken, and finally, the country has made it this far, they said. Buatamo Mopuse is South African senior lecturer at California State University, Sacramento, in the United States of America. A few weeks ago, I was on a panel of international panel discussing about the strides of women in the world. And I was so proud to say that while Western countries have sticky floors, women are still sticking to the floors. Rwanda women are going up and cracking the ceiling, are cracking the ceiling and making, you know, those strides. The former Nigerian president, Orusha Gonobasanjo, said the tragedy that befell this country 25 years ago was a product of bad leadership and that unless leadership is observed, the trend may repeat. The way to ensure the ultimate security of Africans is to improve the connection of leaders and the people being led and to build institutions to defend individuals' rights. As the genocide memorial in Kigali tragically reminds us, the genocide was the consequence of, as I said earlier, a highly centralized repressive state with a single party system. During this period after the genocide, Rwanda has been hitting the international headlines for its booming economic growth, peace and security, and rule of law. But President Obasanjo cautiously admit this may not be enough for thriving and sustainable development. For example, a key lesson from Ethiopia's recent reforms is indeed that you cannot do growth alone. Rather, there is a need to address the democratic deficit to development, while inclusion of all ethnic groups is necessary. Coalitions of losers, which can destabilize societies, can be the products of a majoritarian system where identity politics pervades, but they are also the outcome of a lack of equal access and opportunity for a majority. The commemoration is slated for this weekend, and according to sources from the Foreign Affairs Ministry here, it will be attended by about 10 African heads of state. Srivanus Kremera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. 
South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says South Africans still trust the ANC to govern the country for another term. The President also promised that all ANC members implicated in corruption will be dealt with by the judiciary without fear or favour. He was speaking during an ANC election campaign in Deep Sloot, north of Johannesburg on Thursday. Ndebo Mugobo has more. ANC! ANC! ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa had a warm welcome in Deep Slot, one of the impoverished townships in Gauteng, and residents raised the usual concerns of unemployment, crime and poor service delivery. Kethla Mbutuma says jobs will help eliminate all social ills, including crime in his area. Jobs, jobs and jobs. We feel like ANC is like for people as normal community members, we are being left out. So the president has to prioritize young people. So we want jobs because there is nothing that we can do if we don't have jobs. Most people are not working. There is poverty and crime. And the cause of that is unemployment. And with the May elections just days away, South Africans are making their voices heard some in service delivery protest, while others are threatening not to vote. Alexandra Township, east of Johannesburg, has been a no-go area with residents protesting over poor service delivery and the erection of illegal structures in their area. But Ramaphosa said this is not a sign of no confidence in the governing party, insisting that people still trust the ANC. They are, and the opinion polls are showing precisely that. So the, the people know what they want and the people can see the genuine approach that we are having as a leadership uh, to own up and also to say that we have embarked on a renewal journey and we are now going to clean up everything that has gone wrong in the country. Yes, they do. They do. The opinion polls are telling us that. He also reminded all in Sandri that the provision of services and the lack thereof is the competence of local government, insisting that Jobek Mayor Hemen Mashaba is better placed to resolve issues raised by residents. Well, the people there are really complaining about service delivery issues, and they've been asking and pleading with the mayor to go and address them. They are focusing on the local government, the metro, which has the, all the capabilities of addressing issues. They are complaining about issues of just houses being built on the roadside. And those are issues which are in the realm of the local government. And uh, we're urging the local government to pay heed to address the needs of our people. That's precisely what the Premier has also been insisting on. The president also defended his administration's fight against corruption, saying all ANC members implicated in corruption will be dealt with by the judiciary without fear or favor. The IEC has received objections against the inclusion of 30 people, five of them ministers on the ANC list to parliament and provincial legislatures. These are people whose names were mentioned in different commissions of inquiry. The president said he is confident the law will kick in if there is any wrongdoing by some of his party members. We live in a country that is underpinned by the rule of law. We also live in a country that has democratic practice in various institutions. So in the ANC, those people were elected to be on the list. At the same time, in the whole country, there's rule of law. If anyone has done anything that is wrong, the rule of law kicks in. And they will be dealt with without any fear or favor or prejudice.
President Ramaphosa wrapped up his day-long campaign in Ivory Park east of Johannesburg, where he also interacted with residents and addressed a mineral at an open field. I am Tebu Mokobo, Ivory Park in Johannesburg. Leader of South Africa's main opposition party, Musi Maimani, is accusing Limpopo provincial government of turning a blind eye to activities by corrupt officials. Maimani led hundreds of DA members and supporters in the streets of Pulukwane, marching to the Premier's office. He was accompanied by senior party members John Stienhazen, Pumzile Van Dam, and provincial leader Jacques Small. Jabulani Baloi reports. I'm scared. I can't even give this to President Ramaphosa. You know why? When you give it to him, he says, I'm shocked. Yene is shocked by everything. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. My money wants to just to be laid against officials allegedly involved in irregular, unauthorized and wasteful expenditure. The DA says irregular, unauthorized and wasteful expenditure in the past 10 years in Limpopo amounts to more than 15 billion rand. Furthermore, 11 municipalities have lost more than a billion rand meant for service delivery, which was taken to VBS Mutual Bank. My man explains. Our memorandum is asking, especially in his capacity as Premier, all the people who have stolen at VBS, they must be fired, they must be arrested, they must pay back that money. We are at a point now where our people are suffering everywhere, and it seems like there's no action against those people. All the 11 mayors, municipal managers, chief financial officers, and other municipal staff who are involved in the illegal deposit there must be arrested. My man is also concerned that senior ANC members suspected of corrupt activities have been placed on the list for deployment for provincial legislatures at the national parliament after elections in May. Provincial ANC Deputy Chairperson and former Vemel District Executive Mayor Florence Radzellani, who has been named in the Reserve Bank report, features high on the list of legislature. My manager says there should be certain standards to be met by people in public office. Nelson Mandela did not struggle so that we can end up with a list of the ANC that comprises of criminals who are going to parliament. We need change and ultimately the qualification to be a member of parliament can't be that you are an expert in stealing money. Meanwhile, Premier Stan Matawata sent a delegate to accept DA's memorandum as he was addressing a media briefing. During the media briefing, Matawata has considered that there are problems of financial mismanagement and poor governance at municipalities. He also says that his government is embarrassed by the VBS scandal. Where we're still having serious challenges is in municipalities. Maybe had we been given sufficient time, we could also have dealt with the issue, the issue in municipalities. We couldn't have had the VBS sagas, which has been a very serious embarrassment to this government. The DA also wants government to release a report by the Special Investigative Unit on several municipalities including Tabazimbi and Mudimule Mohopong, the SIU launched an investigation into allegations of corruption and fraud at the municipalities and the report has yet been released two years after completion. The municipalities, now governed by DA, collapsed due to financial mismanagement while the councils were led by the ANC. I'm Chablani Baloi in Polokwane. The Electoral Commission of South Africa, the IEC, remains mum on the status of candidates against whom 
objections were raised and whether they will be removed from political party lists. The IEC has received objections to 53 candidates affecting nine political parties contesting the polls on the 8th of May. Tuesday was the cut-off date for objections. The country's ruling ANC has the highest number of affected candidates. Tandiswa Mao reports. With just 20 working days left until South Africa vote, the IEC says it's on track to deliver free and fair elections. IEC Chairperson Glenn Mashinini says preparations are at an advanced stage to ensure that the 27.6 million registered voters will cast their ballots at the nearly 23,000 voting stations countrywide. Mashinini has appealed to those involved in service delivery protests not to prevent others from exercising their democratic right to vote. Because elections are a high-profile activity, people use that platform to raise publicity to their cause. And that's fine in a democracy. Only to the extent that then it can end up transgressing the rights of others. Mashinini told the Cape Town Press Club that objections raised against candidates and political parties will be resolved by Monday. These include allegations of corruption against candidates, racism and of improper conduct. It's very clearly outlined whether the objection would be upheld or not uh, when we go into our, our constitution as well as our electoral act. It spells out very clearly the basis upon which an objection can be made. While load shedding remains a concern, Mashinini says it will not collapse the election. He says contingency plans are in place. We're looking at what alternatives, the batteries, and probably even trying to do the counting much more earlier. Mashinini says about 200,000 election volunteers are receiving training. He adds that they are a crucial component of a free and fair election. I'm Tandiswamawi in Cape Town. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. South Africa and Kenya will this week sign a Memorandum of Understanding to boost trade, investment and political relations between the two countries. Ministers from Kenya and South Africa have attended the third Kenya Trade Investment Summit in Johannesburg. Kenya's High Commissioner Jean Kamua says that the summit is important as Kenya and South Africa occupy important geopolitical locations that provide opportunities for trade and development. Amina Akram reports. Jean Kamau is the Kenyan High Commissioner for South Africa. She says the lifting of tariffs against Kenyan coffee and tea has increased Kenyan commodities into the South African market. Tea and coffee exports grew from 1.1% of total South African imports in 2014 to 1.7% in the current year. Kamal says an MOU signed between Kenya and South Africa in 2016 also improved trade and economic development relations between the two countries. Most South African companies have entered the Kenyan market as part of their own growth strategy and expansion into the East African region. Uh, We're working with different organizations here in South Africa that represent business interests such as uh, Brand South Africa, Manufacturing South Africa. We have supported more outward missions 
of South African companies to Kenya, especially in the area of manufacturing. One such example that, that plays a dominant role in our record is, of course, VW, South Africa, that entered our economy um, and has boosted the manufacturing sector significantly. In addition, Kenyan commodities and services have gained increased entry into South African markets. Monica Juma is Kenya's Minister of Foreign Affairs. We are the same people, we have the same systems, we are closer to each other, but I think it would be a shame if the opportunities in our countries are taken advantage of by far away investors. I think we need to begin growing by our, for, from ourselves. The Kenyan High Commissioner says they have identified four key areas where they are looking for investment. They want most South African companies to invest in Kenya's manufacturing industry and food security. We are able to produce finished uh, products that we can use to export into the, the, the East African community and beyond. We are looking at also uh, scaling up production in the, manuf- the just manufacturing the textiles, um, motor vehicle we want. Um, and then also affordable housing is another very big area where we are hoping to interest companies that can partner with Kenyan companies in the production and uh, construction of low uh, cost housing and even student housing in universities. We've seen quite a good experience in South Africa on student housing and in Kenya we have quite a deficit um, in health. The Kenyan government told delegates that its economy remains resilient in the wake of increased terrorism attacks. Militant group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility earlier this year when gunmen opened fire in an upscale hotel and office complex in Kenya's capital Nairobi. 21 people were left dead after the incident. She says their tax should not deter people from doing business with her country because the current government is pro-private investment. When we suffer calamities such as terror attacks, we have grown a macroeconomic environment that is growing in its resilience. So we did not see the deep that we had feared, that we had anticipated. But this also happened when we had the last terror attack in January. Very tragic event. And we got very worried because our economy had picked up and we were very, very worried that that event would have actually created a dipping cycle for us. Not at all. So in a sense, we are having an environment that is beginning to act in a very resilient way. The South African government will this week sign an MOU with Kenya to fast-track trade and investment relations. South Africa is expected to sign agreements in energy, ICT, and infrastructure development. I am Amina Akram in Johannesburg. Let's go back in time to today. In 1955, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill resigned his office for health reasons. Today in history, 1955. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The headline, South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission is appealing to communities to protest in a peaceful manner and to respect the rights of others to exercise their right to vote. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta has told government officials who are facing corruption charges to step down and the Nigerian Foreign Ministry has denied reports that 80 of its diplomatic missions around the world are facing closure. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, And The working groups on financial services and the BRICS Business Council have proposed for the collaboration and knowledge sharing of credit rating agencies in the BRICS member states instead of establishing a new rating agency as proposed earlier this year. This is according to the Chairman of Financial Service Working Groups of the BRICS Business Council, Pagamani Mangani. Manganya was speaking at the BRICS Business Council's midterm meeting in four ways north of Johannesburg. Naledin Ngobo reports. The BRICS Business Council's Working Group on Financial Services submitted a number of reports including a proposal for the Council and the BRICS Development Bank to start supporting small, medium and micro enterprises. Chairperson of the Financial Service Working Group of the BRICS Business Council, Pakamani Mainganya, says while the working group has found that the development of a new rating agency is feasible, the network proposed collaboration between existing rating agencies agencies to harness rating models. We now table that report which does recommend that it is feasible to set up a BRICS trade rating agency. Uh, I must say that uh, there is a different view that instead of setting up a rating agency, instead the rating agencies within the BRICS countries can form a network. So both proposals are being tabled uh, with the BRICS Business Council. Mainganya says proposals for a new BRICS international payment system are at an advanced stage. He says the system is aimed at facilitating the ease of transactions and trade internationally. As you know, you have visas, you have MasterCard. Uh, there is initiative uh, to form a similar international uh, payment system that can work uh, seamlessly across uh, the big countries. So a, a prototype has been developed and it was demonstrated in the session today. Uh, now what Brazil will do is to develop more the technical solution and enhance the proposal. Chairperson of the BRICS Business Council, Busi Mabuza, says there have been high-level discussions to include more women, youth and people with disabilities in the council's work streams. So we have agreed that we are now entering a period of consolidation. We are unlikely to see any new working groups coming up. But we would like to make sure that the issues that our people feel strongly about are integrated into our work streams. And I suspect that issues of disability as well as issues of youth and women will be featuring very strongly in all of our work. South Africa officially handed over its presidency of the BRICS Business Council to Brazil. Chairperson of the BRICS chapter of the Business Council, Jose Saredo, elaborates. Initially, we would like to propose three main issues for debate in 2019. One, investment facilitation. Two, trade facilitation. And three, innovation and digital economy. The presentations of the working groups showed that these topics are already part of our discussions. 
many of which have very robust proposals that can be highlighted in our recommendations to the heads of state in the 2019 summit. The 11th BRICS Summit is expected to take place from the 13th to the 14th of November 2019 in Brazil. I'm Naledi Ngobo in Johannesburg. A lifeline highway in rest of Kashmir region will be closed to civilians twice a week to facilitate the movement of Indian Army convoys. Thursday's order has been condemned as a draconian and it comes amid daily attacks on security forces by militants and violent street clashes. Rana Sen has more. The decision comes after a suicide bomber rammed his car into an army convoy in the same highway killing 44 soldiers in February. Local opposition National Conference Party leader Tanvir Sadiq said it will only add to the discontent. This is one of the most regressive steps that have been taken in the last 30 years. I think this is the first time that the Jammu Kashmir National Highway, which is the lifeline and a connection to the rest of the world, has been closed. I mean, never in the history of Jammu and Kashmir has this happened. You are depriving the students from going to the school. You are stopping patients from going to the hospital. You are stopping the employees going to their jobs. Now, nobody has put his mind behind this. How can you stop the moment of the people where you only have just one highway to use. 2018 was the deadliest year in a decade in Kashmir. Nearly 600 people, half of the militants, died in clashes. Shuhas Chakma of the Asian Center for Human Rights said the highway's closure was the product of a complex situation. That's a complex situation because in one side there is no denying that the security forces face hostile massive crowd but on the other hand you also see you know the use of the force including the firearms you know the kind of uh, bullets which we have used you know we cannot deny that fact it's it's a conflict situation you're never going to have a clear-cut situation that this is the way it can actually run through. Or is it the highways closure linked to upcoming Indian elections in Kashmir? wondered opposition congress party leader gulam nabi monga it is uh, extremely unfortunate that the government of india has issued uh, such an order closing uh, the highway the people of jammu and kashmir are facing hardships and uh, tremendous difficulties it should have been the endeavor of the government to create an atmosphere where people could move freely talk freely and in addition to this we have elections and uh, our uh, efforts are there to cast more and more votes, but people will suffer. Analysts say India's ruling BJP party is unlikely to win a single parliamentary seat in Kashmir. Prime Minister Narendra Modi also stands discredited among its 12 million people for imposing direct federal rule in the region last December. For Newsbreak, this is Rana Sen reporting from New Delhi. Various Democratic-led U.S. Congressional Oversight Committees are beginning to show their muscle by issuing requests and subpoenas as it relates to their oversight responsibilities of the White House. In one such move, the House Ways and Means Committee formally requested the Internal Revenue Service to hand over six years of President Donald Trump's tax returns while the House Judiciary Committee has authorized its chairperson to subpoena a full 
unretracted copy of the special counsel's report into conspiracy and possible cons- obstruction of justice by the president. And as correspondent show in Bryce Peace reports, the Oversight and Government Reform Committee has also the executive firmly in its sights. Chair would now recognize the gentleman from Georgia. And it's that very oversight committee that announced earlier this week that it had served four subpoenas into White House security clearances and the administration's efforts to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. The chairperson of that committee has served one such subpoena on the White House personnel security director after a whistleblower told the committee that she and other career officials were overruled in 25 cases to grant clearances despite disqualifying issues. Among those who received clearances over the recommendations of experts, Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter, and her husband, Jared Kushner. Listen to Elijah Cummings, chairperson of the House Oversight and Reform Committee. You know, I learned more about security clearances as a ranking member of the Benghazi Committee and how my Republican colleagues, uh, I mean, made it clear that they didn't want to see one, one syllable of any kind of classified information get to, into the hands of anybody who shouldn't have it. And here we have at least 25 people uh, who have been recommended not to have security clearances. The House Judiciary Committee also voted Wednesday to authorize subpoenas for a full copy of the special counsel Robert Mueller's report after Attorney General William Barr missed an April 2nd deadline to hand it over, despite promising a redacted copy in the next two weeks. Gerald Nadler leads that committee. The Trump administration has an idea. They want to redact the Mueller report before they provide it to Congress. The Department of Justice says the proposal is a means to protect sensitive information that would not ordinarily be made part of the record. But we have reason to suspect this administration's motives. The Mueller report probably isn't the, quote, total exoneration, unquote, the president claims it to be. And in any event, the committee has a job to do. The Constitution charges Congress with holding the president accountable for alleged official misconduct. That job requires us to evaluate the evidence for ourselves, not the Attorney General's summary, not the substantially redacted synopsis, but the full report and the underlying evidence. Add to that a request from the House Ways and Means Committee to the IRS requesting the President's tax returns for more than six years in what could start yet another legal tussle with the White House. The president refused to release his returns during the campaign for president in 2016, undercutting decades of precedent. We're under audit, uh, despite what uh, people said, and we're uh, working that out as I'm always under audit, it seems, but I've been under audit for many years because the the numbers are big and I guess when you have a name, you're audited. But uh, until such time as I'm not under audit, I would not be inclined to do that. We also understand that the House Oversight Committee will soon vote on a separate subpoena to compel an accounting firm associated with President Trump to produce a decade's worth of his financial records, something the company has reportedly said it would comply with. The Ways and Means Committee is basing its request on similar records from the IRS on the tax code that allows the chairperson of that committee the power to request tax information on any filer, and that includes the president himself. 
I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective. Going back in time to today in 1999, Libya hands over two suspects for the bombing of a Pan Am flight 103 over Lockerbie in 1988. Today in history, 1999. Abari, etise. Mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective. Abari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Our economics update up next with Tavisolohoku. Good morning. The Working Group on Financial Services in the newly appointed South Africa BRICS Business Council has proposed that rating agencies in member states collaborate and share knowledge instead of establishing a new rating agency as proposed earlier this year. Financial Services Working Group Chairperson Pagamani Manganya says while the Working Group has found that the development of a new rating agency is feasible, there is also a proposal for existing ratings agencies to collaborate and develop harnessed rating models. He was speaking at the BRICS Business Council's midterm meeting in Fourways, north of Johannesburg, South Africa. We've now tabled that report, which does recommend that it is feasible to set up a BRICS trade rating agencies. Uh, I must say that uh, there is a different view that instead of setting up a rating agency, instead the rating agencies within the BRICS countries can form a network. So both proposals are being tabled uh, with the BRICS Business Council. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM spokesperson Kulu Pasiwe, is leaving the power utility at the end of this month. Pasiwe has been at ESCOM for 10 years, five of which the power utility's national spokesperson the catch-strapped electricity distributor has faced serious leadership crisis, mismanagement and lack of maintenance of power generators, which has seen the country suffering rolling power outages. Pasi says working for ESCOM has not been an easy task. The difficulty is that uh, our problems never come to an end. Almost every day, every week, there's a new thing coming. So it was very difficult. But uh, um, through the grace of God, I've been able to do what I could do. Working here, it's almost tantamount to being at a war zone. There there's been very difficult situations. Almost every week, new things coming out. But uh, we've been able to, uh, to do our job diligently with uh, the necessary professionalism. The World Bank says hyperinflation in Venezuela is likely to reach an annual rate of 10 million percent by the end of this year as the country lives through what the bank described as the worst economic crisis in the history of Latin America. The bank said estimates suggested 90 percent of Venezuelans were living in poverty and the number who've left the country is likely to reach 50 or rather 5 million people by the end of the year. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.11 Nigerian Naira. 10.43 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan shilling and 12.5 for Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 U.S. dollar, 3.86 Brazilian roll, 65.34 Russian ruble, 68.93 Indian rupee, 6.71 Chinese yuan, 14.13 South African rand, 76 pence British pound, 89 cents to the euro, 
gold $1,289, platinum $887 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $69.17 a barrel. I'm Tabi Sorohoku. Our sports update up next with uh, Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. A very good morning to all sport fans. Starting with soccer news. South African Premiership side Mamelodi Sundowns coach Pito Jingles Musimane says their high-profile match against Orlando Pirates on Monday was a good dress rehearsal for their KF Champions League first-leg quarter-final encounter against Al-Akhli in Atrejvili, Pretoria on Saturday. Downs put up a brave performance in their goalless draw against Pirates. The game of Pirates uh, was a good preparation for us, 100%. In terms of uh, uh, keeping the clean sheet, and in terms of uh, complex, Pirates is complex. They've got complex movements and, and consistent movements. I mean, that team runs, eh? They just run and run and run. And I was a little bit worried with, uh, to be honest, with my... Uh, with the speed that they have. And and everybody was saying that we're going to use the speed against uh, Nascimento and uh, Wayne Arens. And I've always been telling you that how many years have those guys been playing and we've won championship. Sundowns have played against Egyptian giants four times, drawing twice at home and losing twice away. They famously met in the Champions League final in 2001. Musimane says it is important to win at home convincingly. You need to win at home. You know the story of Champions You need to win at home and, uh, and try and get more than one goal because one goal is not enough. Uh, in Champions League, try and get more than one goal. But the most important thing, try and not concede at home. One one won't help you, ne? Rather zero zero at least. I hope you understand. I mean, the worst situation is if if it's a draw, there must never be goals conceded because then when you're fighting that side, you know that you didn't concede a goal away. In cricket news, Proteas batsman J.P. Dumini will miss the opening stages of the CSA T20 Challenge as he continues work to strengthen his shoulder ahead of this year's Cricket World Cup. Dumini was back to his best with the bat in the recently completed limited over series against Sri Lanka, but his shoulder is still causing problems. Dumini himself has acknowledged that the injury has affected his throwing arm while fielding, and he also takes a few deliveries to warm up when bowling. In athletics news, there is still no trace of five Eritrean athletes who disappeared ahead of the World Cross-Country Championships in Denmark last weekend. Our correspondent, Kashomnyati, reports. The saga for the disappearance of Eritrean athletes still continues. Three senior female runners and two junior men detached themselves from their coach Dawiti Mebratu and teammates at a hotel where they stayed. There is strong suspicion the athletes pre-planned their escape. They will either seek refugee status or stay as illegal immigrants. A Danish teacher who befriended the Eritrean team, giving them moral support, said Eritrean nationals living in Denmark must have kept the athletes undercover in the meantime. 
Another possibility is that the athletes could have found somebody who shipped them across to Sweden even if they did not have passports. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for programming news and sport from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chemani. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa Ethiopian Airlines crash report puts pressure on aircraft maker Boeing. The DRC authorities urge to take action against corrupt senators and MPs and Rwanda marks 25th anniversary of genocide this weekend. Antenna Africa's shortwave transmitter is temporarily disabled. We will inform you as soon as it's enabled. Again, we apologize for the inconvenience. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us.